Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a cars and transport program where you don't have to be a rev head to enjoy it. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including the MG Electric SUV and in our interviews we reflect on the positioning of the new Kia Nero with its three electric options. We drive the Subaru BRZ sports car and going through the process of setting up a new model to handle the Australian road conditions. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's begin the program. First, the news. The launch of the Kia Nero small SUV with a choice of three electric powertrains raises customer options based on fit for purpose. The hybrid helps reduce but does not minimise fuel consumption. A full electric is a commitment to reducing pollution, particularly at the local level. A plug-in hybrid could be the best of both worlds for people who do occasional long trips. But Kia predicts that the plug-in hybrid will be the smallest seller, as Roland Rivero, their product manager, notes. A lot of it will be supply-driven, and currently uh, the minimum quantity that we've, we've got agreed with Kia headquarters is about 100 a month, and that breakdown works out to be around about 20 units a month for the EV and about uh, 70 units a month for the hybrid, and uh, the gap uh, 10, 10 or so units a month is obviously the plug-in hybrid. The Mazda CX-3 is in the smallest category of SUV. Their sales have rebounded very strongly in the first four months of the year compared to the COVID slump of 2020, which hit Mazda particularly hard. And the CX-3 leads this category, even outselling its nearest rival, the Toyota Yaris Cross, by more than two to one. The range is huge. There are six variants in two-wheel drive and four in all-wheel drive. Prices before on-road costs range from 22900 up to 38700 All run a 2-litre, 110-kilowatt petrol engine. It doesn't have a touchscreen, but rather a dial for moving the cursor like a mouse. I much prefer that. A touchscreen, especially with the small 7-inch screen in the Mazda, can be difficult to operate and dangerous if you are on the move with your hand bouncing about. The CX-3 has a five-year warranty and a five-year roadside assist. The MG ZS is classified as a small, but not the smallest, SUV. Other competitors include the Mitsubishi ASX, the Hyundai Kona and the Honda HRV. One option for the MG is an all-electric powertrain. It's a smart-looking car, has good features and safety credentials. Its range is stated at 260 kilometres, which is similar to the Nissan Leaf EV. The Hyundai Kona has a bigger battery and a very good range of about 480 kilometres. But the top-spec Hyundai will cost over $71,000 to get on the road. The MG currently has a drive-away price of just under $44,000. Buying a car usually has some compromises. It's not hard to see that, as Australia is a highly urbanised country, many would accept charging one to three times a week 
in order to save some $27,000 on the purchase price. Ute sales continue their strong growth with the strongest image for dual cabs that can suit work, play and family, but there are still some purely workhorse models. The Mazda BT-50 single cab only comes as a cab chassis on which you can put a large aluminium tray and other things. The relatively lower side and back panels on the tray makes access so much easier than the popular high-sided pickups. There is only one engine, a 3-litre turbo diesel with 140 kilowatts and 450 newton metres, which is more than adequate. The infotainment screen was only 7 inches, but the car has adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist and a reversing camera, but without showing markings of the vehicle limits. It can tow 3.5 tonnes. The ride, especially without a load, is jarring. The price, excluding on-road costs, is $39,000 with the standard tray. And that has been the news. We've been road testing a lot of electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles coming up, and we talked in the last week or so about the launch of the Kia Nero. Well, our good friend and motoring journalist from SeniorDriverOz.com, Paul Morell, has been driving one as well. It's good to get his feedback. G'day, Paul. G'day, David. Is it important, or how important is it to Kia to have electric vehicle options? I think, like every other car company, it's it's absolutely critical now. Um, the day's gone where you could say, no, we're not doing electric. Uh, and Kia has to get on board with that. Uh, in fact, to the point where they've probably rushed this one into the market a little earlier than they may otherwise have done. Um, I mean, for example, Jaguar has just announced that they will be doing all electric, so they won't have any any internal combustion engines at all. So that's how important it now is to have an electric vehicle. The definition of electric, though, may include hybrid and plug-in hybrids. Yes, it's a pretty broad, uh, pretty broad definition all around. We have hybrids, we have plug-in hybrids, we have pure electric. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of different options in there, and the, as a result, I think people are getting more and more confused about. What's what in the market? Well, we went through that generic period of electric vehicle. Is it electric or is it not? Is it hybrid or is it not? Are we getting to the point where there's going to have to be good communication, be it from manufacturers or journalists, about not every electric vehicle is created the same? Yes, that's very much the case. They certainly are not all created the same. And there's still a great deal of confusion when it comes to what is the best application for an electric vehicle. I mean, clearly a pure electric vehicle makes very good sense in a suburban or urban environment. But people are still confused about about which is the right vehicle for them. We don't make that distinction very clear, though, do we? We tend to ask the question, the supply-side question, what's the range, rather than the demand-side question is, well, how are you going to use it? That's that's right. Um, and I don't – I'm very concerned, I think, that some people are buying vehicles, electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles, with the wrong expectations. And I'm hoping that particularly salespeople are able to explain that to people and, indeed, point them in the right direction. It was interesting, for example, when I drove the uh, the Volvo uh, XC40 recharge, um, the lady who handed me the keys and she took me through the whole process and she said, 
you will find this works far better in this environment and you're going 70 kilometers to where you'll be spending the next week. That's not going to get you very good fuel consumption. So she was able to go through that procedure and she said to me that at the time that when people come to, when people come in to buy even an XC40 recharge, she will quite often direct them away from that vehicle on the basis that that is not going to be the correct vehicle for you. I've been talking to Kia about how they train their dealerships and it's not just the service area and how to look at vehicles that have a higher voltage systems through them that can cause a need to be more cautious, but particularly how they might use it and what might be good. I have a, a, a friends who live in the country, regional area, who thought about buying a hybrid vehicle and have done that. Yet I hinted that the idea of a hybrid for doing long trips like that is not its strongest point. Precisely. Um, it will do the job, but it's not the best vehicle for that particular task. Hmm. Kia have brought in a model that was first released as a hybrid, a mild hybrid, back in 2016. It's five years ago. Hmm. Why are they bringing it in now? It's an interesting question. Obviously, I said they... They really do want to get their toe into the water when it comes to hybrid vehicles, and it, it's available as a proper hybrid electric vehicle. It's available as a plug-in electric vehicle, and it's available as a pure electric vehicle. So it's the range of cars. But it's interesting that they will bring in a car that is, you know, as you say, first on the market in 2016 overseas. It no longer follows their their current design parameters, um, it, it looks a little dated. It looks a little, for example, a little bit like the, the previous model, Sorento. It's an interesting exercise that I don't understand why they've rushed it in, and particularly, and here's a word of warning, particularly when they're talking about replacing that model next year. They did it with the Picanto, a very lower-priced vehicle. In fact, in the smallest category, the compact category, where certainly well under $20,000 you could buy it. It worked for them then. Is that a parallel to try and say that it might work for them now? When they brought the Picanto in, it was a model that was going to be replaced in 12 months' time. Is there parallels there? Well, there is a parallel, obviously, that uh, you know there was a car that was well into its model life. I think the, possibly the situation with the, with the Nero is that they're bringing it in to see testing price levels and testing you know how it will how it will slot into the range and what sort of reaction it will get from people um, and it's an expensive little car this one toyota still has the prius on the market which is selling minuscule numbers and that their technology has expanded and and been applied for now what is a $1500 option on a small toyota for a hybrid vehicle and a good hybrid at that Mm. So having it in the market may not make short-term sense, but as you say, is it dipping the toe in the in the water? Is that the critical element? Well, it's interesting because I guess next year when the next model comes out, I mean we we can sort of predict what sort of price it may be, but they may actually use they may use this particular Nero as something of a straw dog. In other words, that. The next one may come out and be quite considerably cheaper, in which case people will go, oh, isn't that fabulous? Not if you bought the old model. No, no, that's true enough. But, you know, it will kickstart the next model if they do it that way. Paul, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. 
You too, David. And there's Paul Morrell from SeniorDriversOz.com, a lovely website that uh, takes a look at things from a very practical, what does it look like when it's working approach. And it's great to have him here on the program at Overdrive. This is Overdrive across Australia. Volkswagen Touring has a number of models in the range, topping out with the barnstorming V8R line. However, the sweet spot in the range is probably the 210 version. More than enough performance and dynamics to keep most drivers happy, along with the luxury and comfort features of the R line to allow occupants to relax in style. The 3 litre V6 turbo diesel pumps out a respectable 210 kilowatts and a healthy 600 newton metres at just 1750 revs. It drives all four wheels through the 4Motion system and a ZF 8-speed auto transmission. It's reasonably economical using around 8.5 litres per 100 k's during our test. It's no slouch either, running from 0 to 106.1 seconds, about the same time as a Golf GTI. However, it's as a long-distance cruiser that the Touareg excels. It will accommodate five in comfort along with their luggage. You have to actually drive the Touareg to appreciate just how good it is. The Touareg 210 is priced from around $108,500 plus the usual costs and is fully equipped with R-Line specification. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, a classic case of badge engineering was the Toyota 86 sports car and the Subaru BRZ. Toyota has tended to take the majority of the sales, yet the BRZ has been around and there's a new one on the way. But as a farewell drive, Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys managed to put pedal to the metal in order to have a go as a sort of reminiscence of something that's about to depart us. G'day, Alan. David, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Now, you enjoyed the BRZ? It is one of my all-time favourites. So to recap on what you said, it's a badge-engineered Toyota Subaru coalition, let's just say so. Subaru uh, Subaru BRZ, Toyota 86, same car. few little different badges here and there, a couple little bits of trim, but other than that, they're the same. You had a spin in this. Was it as enjoyable as it's always been? Whenever I get into one that I haven't been in for a long time, I get into a BRZ or an 86 and I feel, just feels part of you. It's so lovely. It's, it's, you're, you're riding on the ground, you know, you feel like you're part of the drive itself. It's fantastic. I never was over enamoured by the look of them, particularly in the tail, but, you know, I I got a white one some years ago, and it just reminded me of all those little Austin Healey sprites and cars that were wonderfully nippy and small and that. This was more modern, of course, yet it, it took on that sports car era without being a supercar. Absolutely right. But, of course, David, it's a very old car now. Very old car. It's going on for a decade old, which means the two-litre boxer engine with 152 kilowatts uh, and 212 newton metres, it's getting a bit old. It's uh, a six-speed manual or six-speed automatic, but it's got no driver aids. It doesn't even have autonomous emergency braking. So it couldn't get five stars now, although it may have got um, a higher rating than it's got now if you were to put it to the test and when it was first released. But nonetheless, I often think that a car that doesn't have a huge amount of horsepower is still wonderful to drive. 
Well, I think that's what made it so enjoyable. I've had these on the track before as well. There's no grunt on the straights. You've really got to work it to get the most fun out of it. But when you get to the corners, it is sheer joy. And the thing is, you can take it by the raggedy edge all the time. Things like the WRX and that had far more. Around the 200, the STI, around the 220. It seems to me, why don't they put more power into it? Well, I have asked the question many a time, couldn't they, just for me, put in a tiny little turbo, just to give it a bit more oomph? And their response always was that it was not that kind of car. But I think secretly, Subaru didn't want it to compete against WRX and STI. There's a trend around at the moment of quite enjoying a car that's not turbocharged. I think even Lamborghini and and that have talked about it as being perhaps more purist, where you don't have this raw power, but you have the beautiful non-aspirated power of a, a, a standard petrol engine, standard in the sense of not having a turbo. That's true, but it's also, no matter how good the turbo is, even if it's a twin turbo, even if it's got a supercharger and a turbocharger, there's still that turbo delay, no matter how much they try and engineer it out. You can drive so that you can, you know, account for that, but there really is nothing like the raw power, you know, Lexus in their their V8 cars. They don't have a turbo. Mm. And they're absolutely good. And this is the same. You get into it, you put your foot down, you can have a, a predictable power delivery, predictable steering, predictable handling. The gears are absolutely delightful. The clutch is nice and light. It just feels like an extension of you. And without a turbo, you actually have to keep the revs up. Sometimes with huge horsepower, that can overcome any of your weaknesses in driving. And that if you aren't quite in the right gear, then the car can pull you out of it anyway. But I think the non-turbo cars need maximum torque and power, at uh, typically at high revs, which I think is lovely. Well, David, if, if I want to overcome your little foibles and, and uh, things of driving, I just grab for the Jesus grip. <laughs> With a grimace on my face and put my face against the glass. Well, actually, you put my face against the glass, but that's another story. <laughs> New one's coming out. Do you like the look of it? Is it different? Not that different. In fact, one would be forgiven for thinking it's just a heavy facelift. It is all new, though. All of the metalwork's new, and the engine has a little bit more power. I know I've surprised you, but I think the front lights and the sloping down bonnet have a little bit of look of the latest Porsches. Yeah, well, do you mean the front or the back? Or with Porsche, it doesn't matter because they're both the same. (laughs) I, I sense a certain disrespect, if not antagonism, there. That's why I, I always said that Porsche have different colour lights at the front and the back, so you know which way you're going. We have been critical of their design in some way. The Panamera, I think, is a classic example of one that doesn't have a lovely balance to it, as you might expect that it should. All right, so do we know when that's coming out, the new one, the new BRZ? We don't have a date for either BRZ or 86. All we know is that it is in most likely the fourth quarter of this year. So that's in that three-month range, three-month range heading towards December. We can look forward to it greatly. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thanks again for your time.
As always, David, thank you. And that's Alan Service from Gay Carboys, having driven the rather retro in some ways, yet modern in others, the Subaru BRZ, as is badge engineered with the Toyota 86 sports car. You're listening to Overdrive. With the launch of the new Subaru Outback, I took the opportunity for a road trip to Byron Bay to see just how much better the new model is. Over the week, we drove a bit over 2,000 kilometres, took side trips to the Gold Coast, the hinterland, and some adventurous diversions along the way. My quick thoughts are that the new Outback definitely rides smoother and quieter on the new platform. The revised engine provides adequate performance, so I would love a turbo version though, along with improved economy. The big story is the new 11.6-inch vertical touchscreen. It's intuitive, easy to use, provides a very clean interface, and is a major improvement. The Outback is the safest SUV in its class bar none for the price, and I can attest to the efficiency of the rear emergency braking system. I've always been a fan of the Outback for obvious reasons, and the latest model takes an exceptionally good vehicle and makes it even better. Priced from just under $48,000 plus the usual costs, the Outback Touring is an absolute bargain, and you'll get nothing that has the same level of safety and comfort features or all-wheel drive capability anywhere near that price in its competitors. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. We spoke to Roland Rivero, the product manager for Kia, for our news story on their new Nero car with three electric options of hybrid, plug-in hybrid and electric but the Nero, which has been brought in towards the end of its model run, has not had the opportunity to be tuned for Australian roads. It's not a huge issue, but it's something Kia is very proud of doing wherever it possibly can. In fact, I caught up with Roland as he just got back from calibrating a new model that they will release onto the market later this year. I'm not sure if you can mention the vehicle, but you've just been out with the engineering expert, the genius, Graham Gambon, who tunes the car. As a product manager, often seen in a suit and tie, is that one of the lovely experiences of understanding and participating in the fine-tuning of a vehicle for Australian roads? I'm more than happy to, to tell you which vehicle that is. Uh, it's the new, new Sportage. And we are at the, the fine-tuning stages. The plan is to launch the new Sportage in quarter four of this year. And we've got to lock in all the hard parts, springs and stabiliser bars, as well as uh, shock absorber tune in the next couple of weeks across petrol and diesel variants. It is our practice at Kia Australia that uh, all new cars, and that's what obviously Sportage will be, it'll be a new vehicle, replacing the uh, the existing fourth generation QL and that will give us at least five years of a full model life and very important that we Australianise a product as much as possible and really fundamental to that is the fact that Australian roads and driving styles does differ somewhat to uh, other regions around the world and it's very important we develop a vehicle that drivers feel confident driving in all sorts of conditions, not just the urban jungle, but also on a long weekend getaway, which something like a Sportage is an ideal vehicle for, particularly given it's a much bigger vehicle than the outgoing fourth generation. It's, it's going to be an ideal weekend getaway vehicle. And 
It's got to be able to cope with our rough country roads, uh, which has a combination of wildlife that you need to perhaps swerve around just in case and uh, you know, mid-corner bumps, potholes and uh, you know, rain-damaged roads. What do you talk about? Do you, you, do you go over bumps and what have you and discuss the spring rates and things? I, I actually envy you that opportunity to get so close to a vehicle. Is it a good conversation? It's a very good conversation. We've, we've always got uh, a benchmark that we look at. Like, for example, in this today, we've got a, a you know, Volkswagen kind enough to lend us a Tiguan. It's important that, again, we, we attack some of those roads and ensure that we've got a fairly flat ride and that we, we minimize the body roll. And when it does hit a pothole, it, it absorbs it well and it, it doesn't send too much to your backside. And when you're taking a corner, you're getting good feel and feedback and you, you know exactly what the car is doing and where your wheels are pointing. There's many, many elements uh, or many aspects of the vehicle that we, we look at and each tweak, you know, whether it's a spring rate or more compression or more rebound in, in, in the shock absorber or uh, a stiffer sway bar, each, each little, little adjustment does have a, 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 an impact to uh, the dynamic behaviour of the vehicle. Do you do that out on the road? Do you do those changes? Do, is there, you're followed by a, a fleet of, of technicians and so on? How, how do you vary the rates in that, or do you vary them much? We ask Namyang to send us all the parts, and we, uh, under COVID at the moment, in the past we used to have, pre-COVID, we'd have a damper builder based here for a couple of weeks, and they could just build numerous dampers for us numerous permutations and combinations but that's impossible at the moment with COVID so what we've had to do um, is do it via correspondence and just order the parts and have it air freighted that's all done by Graham he's the wizard so to speak or the chef that that uh, combines the ingredients to create uh, you know the meal and um, I think he's proven over the years that he's not too bad at, uh, at that aspect and just about every vehicle that we've launched in the country Graham's had a, had a big say in how it, uh, how it behaves on Australian roads. Is it seat of the pants or do you have a lot of technical equipment in the car measuring what's going on? Not so, it's more feel and it's more calculation also. So having all the, uh, the measurements at your fingertips, it's all punched into a spreadsheet. So you know the respective axle weights and, uh, the various measurements, uh, and, you know, geometries. Having all those uh, elements at your fingertips, uh, you can you can calculate uh, where you want to you know take the product, and that that really ultimately determines what parts we we desire. We've got to take it from obviously the global parts bin, and sometimes the parts bin doesn't always accommodate what we we need in Australia, which is always the the, the challenge is that um, other markets have a different preference for how vehicles behave. Other markets, for example, have cars that just sit in traffic all the time and there's very little opportunity to take it at high speed on a, on a, on a twisty, windy country road. Whenever we get into a new car, which we do at least every week, we've got to be careful that the first response, your first feeling to a car is not just a reflection of the car you got out of. So if you get out of a V8 and, and get into an economic little runabout, 
it might be tempting to say, oh, goodness, it's underpowered. <laughs> Have you got to calibrate the seat of the pants, so to speak, to spend a bit of time into it to make sure that you're just feeling that car and in those circumstances? Well, absolutely. The good thing is, uh, you know, you'll spend a good couple of months, weeks on just the one product anyway. It's not until you finish that that you move on to the next car. You can recalibrate again then for that particular segment. So obviously right now we're tuning, uh, we're tuning Sportage and we're only looking at really that medium SUV segment and handpicking, you know, what we believe are the ideal benchmarks. You know, the next, next product will be, uh, EV6 and we've just got to, you know, look at that in isolation then and within its competitive set. It'd be good to get our hands on a, on a model Y, but that might be very difficult. <laughs> For example, if the next car was a Picanto, you've got to, uh, again, recalibrate for that and, and its respective segment. But as much as possible, though, David, we try to um, have some level of consistency in that the key of DNA that I think most Australians and most customers are, are getting used to is a, is a, ve- a fairly confident vehicle, uh, you know, sporty and youthful and a vehicle that is fun to drive. Uh, lovely again to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And that's Roland Rivero, who is the product manager at Kia, who is not only juggling the new Nero as it comes out, but as you've heard, both the Serato and the Sportage has got a number of cars, many cars, uh, that they are developing for the future in the short term. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Morell, Alan Zervis, Roland Rivero, Rob Fraser and Paul Just, and the Overdrive team for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.